Welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast, the show that brings leading minds from the energy industry to discuss the challenges and trends that are transforming and modernizing our energy system. And a quick thank you to 1898 & Co., our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. I'm Jason Price, Energy Central Podcast host and director with West Monroe, coming to you from New York City. And with me, as always, from Orlando, Florida, is Energy Central producer and community manager, Matt Chester. Matt, the name of the game in today's episode is asset management. The topic of asset management is critical for investment decisions and a major sticking point when it comes to utility modernization. Matt, give our listeners the quick definition of asset management and, more importantly, some insight into why it might be critical to those in the energy central community. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that, Jason. From my understanding, and you know, asset management is positioned as a somewhat broad term where it, where it means an enterprise's systems that they use in place to keep tabs on things like the location, the use, the relative value, the health of its assets, both tangible and intangible assets. And, and in the utility sector where a single organization can have you know, thousands of miles of grid and, and across that grid, millions of endpoint customers, each with their own meters, necessary distribution equipment, transformers, and even increasingly on-site generation equipment. Asset management, it's not optional. It's, it's a mandatory way for utilities to ensure efficient and reliable operation of the entire enterprise. Yeah, thanks for that, Matt. Indeed, the new technologies, strategies, and opportunities of asset management are more exciting than ever. And anyone who has tuned out on the topic will want to start listening intently, particularly given the recent federal funding as much of the investment dollars is for replacement and upgrade of assets on the grid. And today's episode will provide listeners the perfect opportunity to learn more. Today, we're being joined by not one, but two experts in the world of utility asset management, whose teams are doing some incredible work to bring innovative asset management practices to life. Joining us today are our guests from 1898 & Co. First, we have Paul von Herzlenberg, Director of Generation Asset Advisory at 1898. Paul, thanks for being with us today on Power Perspectives Podcast. Hey, Jason, thanks, happy to be here. And I will say this topic beats the heck out of being the subject of a true crime podcast. (laughs) Well, we're thrilled to have you on. And along with him is Arlen Meir, a senior project manager at 1898 who focuses on the transmission and distribution side of the equation. Same to you, Arlen. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Jason, for having me on. So let's start by understanding each of your points of view a bit better. Since each of you come from slightly different angles of the utility sector, only to unite when it comes to asset management. So can you give us a quick rundown of the areas you play in? Arlen, let's start with you. Yeah. So, you know, my specialty is really in constructing the business case for investment, you know, specifically around linear assets, transmission, distribution, but we include substations as well. You know, our philosophy is to have kind of a data-driven approach. There's many data sources. We auto-generate thousands of potential projects from asset data. We calculate lifecycle benefits and costs and try to help our clients understand where the point of diminishing returns is in their grid investment portfolios, right? Where, where are you spending too much? Where's not enough? And they're built to withstand regulatory scrutiny in many jurisdictions across the country. And Paul, same question to you. 
Yeah, so I primarily work in the power generation sector with generation owners and operators. We work across the entire asset life cycle. So whether constructing new, determining remaining useful life, buying or selling assets, um, we're supporting the owners and operators there. My background is, is in power plant operations and maintenance. So I do spend quite a bit of time working on routine maintenance, especially where um, it kind of intersects and, and works with the asset management and maintenance strategy becoming a kind of big part of the overall asset life cycle on, on rotating assets. You know, the folks that we support are under immense pressure to really effectively and efficiently maintain their assets. So we, we help out where we can. So given that each of you are coming from different perspectives, generation versus the wires themselves, how do you two and your teams end up working together? And are your projects siloed or are you looking at it more comprehensively at the entire width of the sector? Who would like to take this one? Yeah, I'll take that one. So yes, that's a good question. And, and the reality is it depends on the driver, right? You know, sometimes we're building regulatory cases where strict accounting is, is really crucial, right? We're trying to align benefits and objectives to their costs. And so there, there sometimes isn't a lot of overlap in those situations. But you know, where we see our powers combined, if you will, is, is when the utility is looking for help organizing activities and projects more at the enterprise level. So, you know, there's not discretionary spending, right? And that takes precedent a lot of times, but making sense of, of all the projects that have been placed into the hopper for a chance at the discretionary budget is, is really where we kind of shine. And so our teams have, you know, blended experience between management consulting and engineering level knowledge of the assets. And so it allows us to kind of bring a lot of options to the table and include it in kind of the overarching decision framework. You think about generation projects, right? There's a, a multitude of benefit to the plant, to the company. You're you know, producing unplanned to force outages, improving resiliency or efficiency, reducing operating costs, extending the remaining useful life of the assets. And those all have quantitative impacts to the life cycle and the net present value to the utility. So Paul and his teams understand that in immense detail, you know, and some come from the utility and know it firsthand actually, but the net present value of T and D assets and linear assets and investments is calculated kind of largely in the same way, improving reliability, resiliency, life extension, reducing operating costs. So we can combine those kinds of projects and thousands of potential ones into a true optimization model. And we can build a long-term plan that satisfies lots of utility constraints simultaneously. You know, only a few utilities have kind of taken action this far down the road, uh, but that's where we kind of start to blend our, our capabilities together. All right. So asset management, critical for the industry, sticking around for quite some time because it's an asset intense industry as it is. It sounds like from your, uh, both of you, it's really like the work is, well, a lot of work still to be done. So Paul, over to you. Give us the state of the sector, if you will. What is the current status of the U.S. power industry when it comes where they are with proper asset management practices. Yeah, so I know we we defined asset management at the top of the, the the episode, but you know, thinking about proper asset management and proper asset management practices, everyone has a, a different view on that, and I'd say most people are in very different places when it comes to to proper. So I guess broadly, you know, folks are in very similar situations for the pressures they're under, whether it's coming from changing budgets, different kind of stakeholder engagement, regulations, new technologies, and then the response is, is where it starts to differ. We like to look at asset management as, as kind of a journey from being 
reactive to proactive decision making or as a systematic approach to kind of realizing value from your company's assets. So even within organizations, different business units can be, you know, different levels of maturity in that journey. I think I can safely say that that most organizations have, have picked up on wholesale run to failure and replacement not being the most effective strategy. But what's being done about it and how far along most people are is where it starts to depart. So different variations of time-based or condition-based maintenance are being implemented. We got varying aspects of condition monitoring or online monitoring, and then different uses of technology. So I think a lot of people have really been recently thinking about how data can enhance the decision-making and the asset management strategy. But once again, it's a you know wide range from folks using all the information available to those that are just beginning to understand what is or, or isn't there and, and building on that. That's good context. And clearly, it sounds like both of you have seen it all. Now, Arlen, how about back over to you? I'd love to get your take on the why behind that status. Given the wide array of stakeholders, competing priorities, and fixed budgets, why is asset management positioned the way it is? Yeah, so, you know, as Paul mentioned, there's multiple stages of maturity. And, you know, the ideal stage from one utility to the next is going to be different, right? Utilities have different resources. So, you know, one end of the spectrum, you have a company like, like New York Power Authority, right? I had the privilege of assisting with their ISO 55000 certification process. They truly embraced ISO 55000 and related asset management principles from top to bottom. And then the other extremes, you have kind of small asset management groups within the utility. Maybe you have just a few people and have a, kind of an advisory role really in decision making. So, you know, I think oftentimes development of, you know, what are our asset management best practices? You put that in the category of important, right, as opposed to urgent. Utilities have you know, limited resources, as you mentioned, people, time, and money. And I think it's easy as a utility or any company to say, hey, this company should do blank. Why aren't we better at that? But the reality is it takes you know, thousands of people and they often wear multiple hats in the utility and they're all making thousands of decisions a day to keep the lights on and electric rates down. And you know, contrary to some public opinion, you know, a lot of people that work at the utility are rate payers. And so that, that's important to them. So there's lots of urgent items that require constant attention but items in the important category, like bolstering asset management practices, you know, it takes dedicated resources, time, kind of patience before you start to see results. And oftentimes, patience runs out um, or the push maybe doesn't survive reorganization of people and departments with, with new objectives. All right, that's great context. You know, Paul, I want to go back to you. Some things that you had said earlier, I want to, I want to revisit some of it and pull some threads here. You both of you clearly have a good understanding of what you know the state of affairs with asset management, but our listeners do want to know you know what's actionable and what's forward looking. So, what should the utility decision makers be doing at this moment? What are they overlooking, and where are the easy opportunities for improvement? More importantly, you know, with all the funding, the federal funding, what role is that playing in helping push this area forward? Great question. I'd probably start with you know, challenging and empowering your people, uh, really good asset management isn't just a few decision makers sitting in a room. It takes skill sets that people bring from various backgrounds and across the organization. I think, you know, guided by the 
value drivers, the risk tolerance and the, the vision and, and goals of the organization, you know, you can really come up with creative and good ways to address and, and kind of tackle the move forward. I'd say in addition to that, I like trying to make my data work for me. Most utilities, especially generation plants, have just decades of, of information, decades of data that is, I'd say, a little bit underutilized. So what insights can be drawn from that as far as asset health, top risks, you know, where the priorities lie, you know, understanding, is it in a good enough format and is it complete to, you know, get answers out of it is, is a different question, but at least start asking, you know, asking yourself, what, what insights can I draw from this information? I think ultimately we've talked about it. The goal is to safely and efficiently keep the lights on, but there's just, you know, so much more that, that plays into that. And so it's a kind of a, a big, a big challenge that, you know, should invite a lot of different backgrounds and information to, to solve. Sure. Arlen, how did Paul do? Did he miss anything on that list? Paul did fantastic. But, uh, you know, I think there, there may be a couple items we can probably talk about a little bit. So one of the things we think about when it comes to federal funding is the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, we've seen a lot of our clients start to seek grant funding through that, especially the Justice 40 initiative, the Environmental Justice Initiative, where they're looking to, you know, try and get 40% of federal investments flowing to disadvantaged communities that are marginalized and underserved. And so a lot of our clients are trying to understand where certain projects kind of overlap these areas of the country. And so there's a lot of good detail in there. Uh, and that's a way to probably get some, some support and funding for, for areas of the system that really need it. And so, you know, on top of that, I'd also pay close attention to the level of rigor that you're using to justify projects. Paul's mentioned this several times. But when you move to data-driven decision-making, you know, you need to take care to document a lot of the project drivers and build a, a quantified business case wherever possible, kind of being consistent across the plan or program. You know, several of our clients are kind of struggling in front of commissions and the old ways of kind of creating and justifying projects are really being met with unprecedented headwinds. So I think kind of improving some of those strategies and processes can, can kind of turn some quick benefits. I'm glad you brought up the Justice 40. It's something that sometimes underassumed in our experiences as well. So, I'm, so it's an important and critical aspect that the government's looking for the equity case, the equity side of the equation, and, and the, certainly the Justice 40 side of it as well. So I appreciate the timeliness of bringing that up. You know, Arlen, let's stay with you for a moment. We're really talking about, you know, asset management coming at a crossroads because of the federal funding in particular, which you just, you know, brought up. So you know, when we look at asset management, we're talking about a range of stakeholders, the customer, the regulator, the investor, you know, the workforce, and so on. And of course, technology is driving a lot of this. So, you know, I want to hear from you, why, why do you think now we're at a critical point in the modernization movement? What is it that will tell us that maybe perhaps there's some signs that we're near the end, like we're, we're accomplishing the journey? What are some metrics maybe you look for, you know, to make sure that we're hitting on all those key aspects that say that we're doing the job right and moving in the right direction? And just your general assessment of how we're doing, you know, given the, the past year and a half, two years, the transformation and the funding that's come into play. Anything you can sort of give, you know, shape the 
the conversation a bit further to give us the confidence that we're moving in the right direction. We're still too early to tell. Are you optimistic? No, just your general impressions would be great here. Yeah, sure. That's an interesting question. I, I think that we're, I think we're moving in, in the right direction. It's interesting because over the, the last decade plus, we've seen, you know, of course, a lot of utilities have embraced asset management in, in several different facets. But I'm also starting to see people understanding uh, kind of the next chapter, which is if we want to rebuild the system properly, we need to think about creating projects that handle multiple issues at once. And that's inherently difficult because the utility has to have you know, lots of different groups that are responsible for certain sections of the system or certain objectives of the company. And you're trying to get them to start thinking together and saying, okay, aging infrastructure is of course an issue that everyone kind of talks about, but what about uh, future issues, right? Electrification, DERs, two-way power flow. What about resilience, right? It's not just reliability and aging infrastructure now. And so trying to plan more holistically, I think is the next, one of the next pieces of the chapter in our system. And I think a lot of our utilities are starting to think that way and trying to figure out how to get there. But it is definitely a journey, right? The other sort of thing to kind of inject in there is the customer-centric component. While all of our utilities agree that, well, customers are kind of the, the most important piece of the business, it's been difficult to try and incorporate kind of a customer focus into the plan, right? How does this affect customers? How does this reduce outages? How does this increase, you know, increase reliability? Um, what can we do to keep the lights on in major events, blizzards, ice storms, hurricanes, you name it. So it's a real big kind of hairy animal to try and conquer. But I think we're, I think we're heading in the right direction based on a lot of the discussions we're having with each of these. Paul, you've been looking at this uh, issue for quite some time as well. You, are you as equally optimistic? What's your impression of how we're doing? Yeah, very optimistic and, and agree with what Arlen pointed out. I think there's, you know, just tremendous challenge. And I think we're really rising to it. You know, we talk about reliability, resiliency, and then balancing it with cost, safety, compliance, security, stranded investment. It's just, you know, so many different angles to evaluate and, you know, understand the value that you're bringing. So I'd agree, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. I think there's still quite a bit of work to be done to reach, I'd say that optimized solution, but definitely a, a lot of good work going on between the increase in, in data availability, use of information, bringing people together to, to solve more complex problems in, in less of a vacuum than before, all well kind of competing with different interests and stakeholders and funding and, and everything else. Arlen, why don't we start with you and Paul, certainly follow up. I'd love to hear you both around the regulatory side of things. And certainly the standards like the ISO 55000, which came up earlier in the conversation, certainly play a role in the asset management world. So what are some of those regulatory pressures or any kind of regulatory drivers that are playing a role in the um, the asset management world that you could, you could describe? Again, Arlen, why don't you start and hand it off to Paul when you're done? Yeah, sure. So... You know, one of the things I mentioned earlier is trying to have a, you know, consistent approach towards making cases in front of the regulatory commissions. 
and making sure that you're covering all the necessary facets and you can kind of handle scrutiny from, from interveners or questions from commission and staff. And so where ISO 55,000, ISO 31,000, they help a lot with putting structure and frameworks around the decisions that you make. And I think that's really some of the key pieces you need to keep in mind whenever building your, your plans and, and going forth into the regulatory environment. Because what that'll give you is that'll give you a solid footing to be able to make the case, right? When people ask you, hey, where did you make that decision? Why, why are you doing this kind of work? Why are you not doing this other work? I, I think you're spending too much. You now have something to point to that says, look, I did A, B, C, D, E, all these things that provide supporting documentation to why I'm here today requesting funding or approval for whatever we're doing. And that makes it really difficult because then other folks have to say, okay, well, I disagree and that's fine. You can disagree and, and have different opinions. As long as you don't have anything sort of flawed and, and big things that you missed, you're in a good footing, right? And so having solid ISO 55,000 foundations and practices really help create a, a good case that's bolstered by lots of rigor. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree there. I think some of the variability we're, we're seeing in that is, I think Arlen mentioned it earlier, where you've got vastly different size of organizations and kind of different ability, appetite to adopt a, a standard like the ISOs. So, you know, we are, we are seeing just kind of the right mix of practices influenced by ISO, influenced by the best practice, industry leading practice to develop that that level of rigor even in some instances without kind of going the full iso route but definitely a uh, little bit more scrutiny and it's becoming increasingly important and, and challenging to, to prove the prudency on on all the spend well i compliment you both for taking such a complex topic as asset management bring it down to earth let's put it that way and we're going to give you the, the final word but we want to pivot now through what we call the lightning round, which gives us an opportunity to learn more about you, the person, rather than you, the professional. So, Paul and Arlen, we're going to ask uh, five questions. You should leave your, uh, give your answer uh, a one-word response or phrase. Paul, we'll start with you, and then Arlen, you follow up. So, gentlemen, are you ready? Ready enough, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Let's do it. What was the first concert you ever went to? Uh, does Trout Fishing in America count? Otherwise, it's meatloaf. Arlen? Matchbox 20. What's your favorite home-cooked comfort food? Paul? I'd go chili every time. I cook a really great chicken and sausage on a lot. What famous person, living or historical, would you most like to sit at a bar and have a drink with? Someone that requires really low social energy or Robin Williams. I think those are two opposite items. That's that's, very, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do Dave Grohl. Who are your role models growing up and who are they now? Probably parents growing up and still to an extent, but probably my marketing department currently. Harlan. <laughs> yeah, I'd say probably my parents growing up as well. And now I, I think I look back to a lot of mentors who took time to answer things and teach me the ropes for management consulting. All right. And last, what are you most motivated by? I think I really like 
seeing and helping people succeed, but really want to have fun while doing it. Yeah, you know, our team puts a lot of effort into our projects and our work. So when our clients are really appreciative of what we do for them, that feels me. That's great. Great job, both of you. So like I said, we're going to give you the final word of the podcast. So knowing that your audience of utility leaders, executives, and decision makers are listening in, what is your piece of advice and call to action for them? Arlen, let's start with you. Yeah. So the next chapter in the grid is, is really approaching, right? And so foundational tenant of asset management is managing the total lifecycle cost of our assets and equipment. So I think we have an opportunity now to challenge ourselves and think beyond assets and aging infrastructure and start to create projects that address lots of grid pain points today and tomorrow. Reliability, resilience, electrification, load growth, and then understanding where's the right overall level of investment for me today. Paul, you have the floor for the final word. So I really like Arlen's response. I think I'd reiterate that this is a journey. You know, solid asset management practices don't happen overnight. You got to be intentional about the approach, the goals, understand that sometimes baby steps are necessary to lay a good foundation to the tremendous change that's happening. And then additionally, I'm excited. Um, I think we talked about it earlier. You know, we got stuff going on like never before in the industry. It's a really big challenge and it provides really good opportunities just to continue to iterate and improve our practices. Well, you guys make a great team and we really appreciate you sharing your insight uh, to our listeners today. And I know that our community will look forward to keeping the conversation going. So certainly look for any questions or statements and uh, any follow-up with the to engage the community. So with that, thank you again for sharing your insight. We hope to have you back and uh, much appreciate taking the time to share this wisdom with you both. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. And thank you to 1898 and Co. 1898 and Co. is a global business, technology, and security consultancy serving critical infrastructure industries. They partner with clients to plan, secure, and optimize their business. As part of Burns and McDonnell and their 120 years of industry experience, they understand the complexity of your asset intensive business model, the trends impacting your industry and the need to ground big ideas in operational realities. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com, and we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. Mm -hmm.